Aboriginal community. I grew up with Aboriginal people, as you, as you probably know. And we called each other brother and sister a lot in the Aboriginal church and auntie, you know. Um, and then I moved to a sort of a middle-class proper church which dropped the brother and sister and it was Mr. and Mrs. and Doctor and this and that. And I think we miss something sometimes about who we are in Christ. We're brothers and sisters. But even more, we're saints. Uh, now, the word saint means holy one. And it's not about me. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's how God views me. It's not how good I am. It's not what I've accomplished. God deals with us as holy people. He really does. He treats us with care. He sees us as his holy ones. He treats us with dignity. He treats us with respect. He honours us. He doesn't treat us as sinners. He treats us as what we've been redeemed to be. He treats us as his holy ones. And when the New Testament writers realised this, they had no trouble saying to each other, saint, saint, saint. Now the Roman Catholic Church, of course, used this description to refer to people who were more godly. <laughs> and that was pretty cool because it's pretty nice to look up to people and say, hey, there's some people in the church that we can emulate. We'll call them saints. But of course that created a bi-level situation where some people were the saints and some people, well, we didn't have a word for them. They were just the leftovers. And of course that's not what Paul means. So the Protestant Ref Reformation happened in the 16th century. And we abolished the use of saints. And that was probably a good thing to do because, yeah, there isn't a second class of Christians called saints. But I think we've gotten over that. I think we get that. Why don't we start using saints again? But in this case, let's all be saints. To recover this sense, and we've been talking a lot about this in Romans, that our identity is defined not by what we see in the mirror, not by what our friends call us, not by our professor or our boss or our family and what they think of us, but rather what God says about us, which is incredibly glorious. And to just have the sense, even if we don't use the word, maybe just under our breath when we meet each other, saint, just say saint. Um, and, and that might revolutionise our community. Don't say it too loud, maybe. Uh, or maybe just in the mirror every morning, Saint, you know, Saint David. Uh, let's let's reimagine, let's reimagine who we are, and let's purge ourselves of the view of the world, which is constantly tearing us down and de-theologizing us secularising us, not seeing how God sees us. Let's not be conformed to the pattern of this world, as he says in verse 2. Language is important. How we address each other changes how we live. When we were children, if we were treated dismissively and derisively, it affected us. People at school calling us derogatory names, nicknames, putting us down. That really impacted our lives and for some of us it's taken all of our lives to heal from those scars. 
It's very, very important how we, what we say to each other, how, what name we give to each other. You and I are saints. That's our true dignity. What are the words that we could use if we don't use saints in order to honour one another? So that's the first thing, recovering this sense that we're saints, we're holy ones. Secondly, body. (laughs) All these saints, of course, we are all collectively the church and the church is the body of Christ. So chapter 12, verse 5, in Christ we who are many form one body. So this is the first time in Romans that Paul calls the church the body of Christ. And this is going to be very important for our understanding of everything he's going to say in chapters 12 to 16. And the body of Christ is a way of saying that we're connected to God completely. Organically, Christ is the head of, our, of his body and we, his life through the Spirit flows through us. So the body of Christ in one way is a way of talking about that God is at work amongst us. But again, this is not necessarily the way the world sees it. Uh, it's not an understanding sociologists would come up with through statistical analysis of the church. And I've just been in, in Prague, and in Prague there's like 1% of the population are Christian. And the, and the churches are ageing, the churches are dying, the churches are culturally irrelevant. So from a worldly point of view, it looks like the church is a failure. Um, it, it's the most disappointing group <laughs> in the world in some ways. <laughs> I mean, we don't look that good across the world, especially places like Europe. We have a friend uh, in Springwood who has left the church and she, she said to me, look, I realise that Christians are no different from anyone else, you know. She'd been going to church all of her life. She realised, actually, people are just people. And Christians are no different at all. In fact, lots of people in the church are just plain stupid. I mean, they're like children. They can't think for themselves. They just keep repeating the same rules and dogma that they've been taught all their lives. You can't have an intelligent conversation with anybody. And if I want an intelligent conversation, more often than not, I'd go outside of the church. And there I'll find good community, progressive people, People who are with the times. People who think. And so she left the church. And you see, the problem is, she's right. I mean, if you're looking for some people who are great company and have lots of intelligent, progressive conversation, maybe you could join like the the organic food co-op or something, I don't know. Uh, Where would you go for that? Would it be the church? Whereas if you go to church... Well, it's a bunch of sinners it's, and we're not very reconstructed sinners either in some cases. And some of us don't even know we're sinners and some of us don't even know that we're meant to be repenting. And some of us are arrogant. We don't, we don't repent and it's exhausting sometimes. So if you join a church or do anything with a church and if you're thinking you're with the finer parts of society, well... No, (laughs) that's not what it is. And I think people's disappointment with the church, and look, there are many people in the Blue Mountains who are disappointed with church, who have left church 
I think some of that disappointment is false expectations. And those false expectations have come from our false advertising. That we have kind of put it out that we are the better people. We have better insight, we do things better, when often we do not. Church is kind of the mess, we're we're kind of the mess of the whole world in many ways. (laughs) And in some ways God, God is showing his glory by doing his thing with the worst and seeing what he can make out of us. And people walk in on it and sometimes they just see the worst. They don't see what God is doing with the worst. I want to read you a letter and this is a letter written by an artist. She came into the church because she had an alcoholic husband and a drug addicted son and her friend said, look, you just, you've got to come to church. She came from a good family that never talked about God Uh, They wanted to have nothing to do with organised religion. And she had a wide range of friends who were artists. And she went to church. (laughs) And she was intrigued. She had never heard the stories that she heard there or the scriptures that she heard there. And it wasn't long before she became a Christian. So she's new in the church. And she's got all these artistic friends who are spiritual but anti-institutional. And she wrote a letter to her pastor and this is what she said. I feel so defensive about my life of going to church. My spiritual life takes on more and more importance. It's central to my survival. So it's hard to hide it from my friends. I felt like hiding it. But now it's too big and perhaps too strong to be hidden. My long-time secular friends ask in somewhat appalled tones, what is this about you going to church and going on trips to Haiti with a church group? I don't feel strong enough to defend my actions. Really, I'm sure they could accept a bizarre cult more easily involving some nicely exotic and strange activities. Going to church is branded with a terrible ordinariness. In fact, that's one of the things that endears it to me. And to 12-step programs. The facade of ordinariness, as if you could pull back some cloth that looks so ordinary, but find the most extraordinary life beneath it. But I feel isolated and inadequate to the task of explaining myself to my husband and to close friends. It's as if I have to undress before them. And in my willingness to do that, they dare not disdain me and adjust their neckties a little tighter. I'm feeling raw, cold, isolated and a fool. An obligated fool. Obligated to be a fool within the context of the secular world. Further, I can't exactly point to a life mended Many of the same sorrows and difficulties seem to mend, only to burst open again and again. Though, to tell you the truth, I haven't been on medication since June, and that is a good amount of time. And I'm very grateful. When I try to explain myself to these friends, it's as if I'm suspending in a 
hang glider between the material and the immaterial. Pointing down to a shadow cast far below. Saying, see, do you see? Shadow work. Perhaps it takes a fool to savour the joy of shadow work. The shadow cast in attendance to the unknown, the paid for, the freely given. That's what she said. (laughs) And this woman got it right. She had no illusions about the church. It wasn't a romantic thing. She didn't feel the need to defend it. In fact, she felt the need to apologise for the church because people on the outside couldn't see what was happening on the inside. This church was not a glamorous church. It was an ordinary church. It was full of the recovering alcoholics and drug-addicted crowd that she knew. And yet she was there. And she was there with bells on. She couldn't not be there. She didn't yet know much about the Christian faith, but she understood it wasn't utopia. It was a workshop. And when she got involved, she didn't expect that people would be all together. And in fact, what she found was people just like herself. And then she has this wonderful image of the shadow work. Don't look at me. There's a shadow down there. See? Shadow work. There are these reflections. If you just watch for them, if you're looking in the right place, not looking at me, you might see what God is doing. And we can miss this sometimes. We start trying to make church perfect. We think this is the way church ought to be. And we can expend a great deal of effort (laughs) trying to make the church more attractive to outsiders so that people come. And I I think part of that is we think, well, if people saw what we were really like, they wouldn't come. But that's false advertising. And we need to accept the the church the Spirit has actually built, (laughs) the one that He is forming, not the one in our minds that we think is the ideal. But in terms of what is happening inside the church, Paul right through Romans, has this extravagant language. We are the body of Christ. We are the holy ones. We are a holy temple filled with a holy spirit. But you can only know that if you're deeply part of it. You can only know it if you enter this life of grace and peace, this life that we encounter at the cross this life of being incorporated together into Christ's body. We can only know this reality of God if we're deeply in, on the inside. And all of these things, the cross being incorporated into Christ, these things are the the reverse of the world's values. It's not like the world can do things really well and we can do them twice as well. A lot of our life as the church is doing things in a completely different direction. And even Jesus looked ugly to the people of this world. He looked like a failure. And the church can look like that too. Maybe when people call church a failure, (laughs) maybe that's a compliment. 
Because we're not doing it the world's way. We're doing it in reality. So we are saints. We are Christ's body. And that means we, we have to have a sense of reverence before one another. We're on holy ground. We, the life of God is pulsating amongst us um, to the trained eye. Um, we are to honour one another above ourselves. We're to, to be at peace with each other because we are his body. We're to forgive each other because we are holy ones. We're to love each other as brothers and sisters for we are his holy people. So all the things Paul says in chapter 12 all flow out of how we see each other. You can put that uh, Monet up. Monet was a French painter a hundred years ago. He did this series of, on what, this is the Prague bit, we've got to get through to the, yep. And I don't know, if, has anyone seen exhibitions on Monet? Anyone been? Yeah. Cool. Pretty cool stuff, right? And a hundred years ago, do you know how many paintings he painted of the same pond? 250. 250 of the same pond with these lilies again and again and again and again. But they weren't, they weren't all exactly the same. So he'd go a little bit of a different perspective and look at it. You know, he'd, he'd move to another place and look at it there or different times of the day, different times of the year, the sun at different angles, different atmospheres happening in the you know, clouds and sunshine and Again and again and again, he saw it from every way he could and painted it. Year after year after year after year. And I realized when I saw that that I'm so impatient. <laughs> uh, and I do one thing and then I quickly want to move on to another. And especially when it comes to dealing with people, I quickly move on if it's difficult. I get impatient with people. I move on and I move on and I move on. Instead of waiting and watching and praying to see what God is doing in their lives. Too many of us just keep moving on quickly. Too many Christians in the Blue Mountains just keep moving on, moving around different churches or not going to church at all. Too many pastors, too quick. <laughs> and maybe we need to stay year after year after year deeply involved with each other, deeply in, deeply inside the church, watching carefully and watching prayerfully long enough to actually see the shadow work. And Monet was staying and staying and staying and staying. And I think we need to do that too. So do you realise how important this is for our life as a church. Yeah? Do you realise how important this is for our unity and forgiveness of each other? Um, anyone want to speak to that?
Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's going to be about us, not about God. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking to see God in each other, God at work. Any other thoughts? <laughs> yeah, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's right, and there are reasons to move, definitely. Yeah. So that will come sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that the whole point of child sometimes I think, well yeah, actually the whole point of child institute is that you don't know what you actually have to learn. Mm. And you need people to help you to learn. You can't mm. do it by yourself. Yeah. The child needs everything that's being featured in your the training. Yeah. Yeah. I always say something about what the church said. I think it's true that we're meant to unlock and you know, if you wanna know where the smart people are in the world, make sure the church all about the people that you can meet. Um but I feel like what we the the truth of that is it's it's more to us than what we're just meant to. Yeah. We do have something that people outside don't have. Yes. Shadow work. Yep. Mm. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Takes work, and it yeah, takes real involvement. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Did you like the shadow work thing? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just just hit my heart so so hard. You know, I don't know. I don't know what words to put to that. Yeah, yeah, it's that thing again. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what. It, yeah. That's that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's hard to put your finger on it, but yeah, you, you know, you just wake up and you go, "Hey, there's a glory here. There's a glory, and the spirit of God is here." But I'm, I don't see it so obviously. You know, I don't see him just by looking at a person. You know, and, and running them through my grid of things that I think are important. Uh, but God, by God's grace, suddenly my eyes are opened, and yes, wow, shadow work. There's some, there's the shimmer of the reflect reflections of God's glory here. Yeah. In these people, in this in this group, in this life. So let's pay attention. Let's keep looking at each other. Let's not give up. Um, yeah. Amen.